Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Pochit, Pochit, which is, of course, Macedonian for Achtung, Achtung. When are we going to do English? Look, James, uh, this is your problem, is your um, Anglo-American bias revealing itself (laughs) yet again. (laughs) Now, sometimes people ask why James and I are so obsessed with the war, and frankly, most of the time, we don't bother answering such a ludicrous question. We just give those people a withering, pitying look. Obviously. Uh, But Macedonia, Macedonia is actually an interesting case in point. Um, as uh, the ongoing relevance of uh, as to the ongoing relevance of World War Two history, when North Macedonia applied for membership of the EU recently, the Bulgarian government said it won't support their neighbour's neighbour's candidature until they remove the phrase "Bulgarian fascist occupiers" from all World War Two historical landmarks. How about that? Good luck with that. <laughs> That's fantastic, isn't it? Now, James, you've been in the US, haven't I have, you? Yeah. Now I've been sort of. Well, there's the um, there's the National World War Two Museum down in New Orleans, which is which is yep. amazing and gets bigger every time I go there. And they have this what they call a conference, but really is a kind of sort of World War Two literary history festival, I suppose. Yep. And um, they've just opened a new hotel, which they've got there, the Higgins Hotel, um, and it's absolutely fantastic. They've got a boardroom in the hotel, which has has Eisenhower's map from Southwark Park, uh, Southwark House really? on the wall, and it's just and it, uh. it's got sort of pictures of the war all over the place and stuff. And it's and it's very nice and, and comfortable. And um, and the conference is a great thing. Um, and in between, and having left 
New Orleans. I then went up to Washington and on to Carlisle Barracks, which is where the U.S. Army War College is. Um, yeah. uh, and they have a fantastic archives there, and everyone there is spectacularly helpful. I mean, it's really interesting going yeah. around the world, going to these various archives, because they're all so different. Um, and, yes. and the moment you leave one, you sort of forget how it works. So you always have to spend a little bit of time when you get there trying to remember how what their operating system is. So amazingly, the German one is really, really chaotic. I mean, Teutonic and efficiency, really? No. I mean, that is, is absolute <laughs> chaos. Um, the main American one is just totally baffling and incomprehensible. You just, I mean, how you yeah. order anything up is just, I, I never know. Uh, and thank God there's a whole load of sort of archivists there to help you. Um, but you go to the yeah. War College one, the um, US Army Heritage and Education Center, and hmm. it's so straightforward. It's so simple. You say, this is what I want to look at. And they go, oh, this is what you want. Then you fill out a docket and five minutes later, there it is. And so last week yeah. I was finally looking at the papers of General Gavin. The much talked about oh, General right. Gavin. He was oh, just fantastic. fantastic. It was absolutely brilliant. And um, yes, you posted you posted some of it on Twitter. Oh god, um, it was great. It was really good. You yeah. know, all his his day to day diary, which is quite you know, it's quite um, you know, he doesn't sort of hold back really. A little bit sort yeah. of thin on the ground around like making bridge though. No, really? Yeah. Can you well, believe it? Well, no, because most of the most of the stuff is about uh, is is his sort of needle with um, uh, Ridgeway yes. around that stuff, isn't yeah. it? Because there's 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 been a there, there'd been a sort of reshuffle in, in, in the in the U.S. airborne divisions, and um, and Ridgeway was going around basically looking looking looking. F- looking to exert his seniority wasn't yeah it? yeah um uh, and and you've got browning in the mix and everything so there's this weird collision of command structures and um we can say this they're all dead prima donnas yeah. um uh exerting themselves and trying to influence the battle and, and basically getting on a bit of victory too because that that that, that's a lot of what's going on. I, I think that is a lot of what's going on. What, the, one of the most interesting things, actually, is the, I mean, I, you know, my Normandy book, I gave the whole US airborne operation, you know, I think actually, you know, they did pretty well. I mean, it was chaos and all the rest of it, but actually... Eight out of ten. Did you give them an eight out of ten? I gave them massively an eight out of ten, which I thought was pretty big of me. <laughs> but, but what's really interesting is they have this debrief um, in yeah. the maybe sort of third or fourth week of June, something like that. I can't remember when it, well, or some point yeah. anyway, in the summer. And they have this debrief, and they have all the kind of you know all the battalion commanders and XOs, and and they all are back in Leicester, and uh, which is where they were based for training beforehand. And um, they all they all have a chance to speak. And what's absolutely clear is they all think the whole thing was a massive shit show. Really, yeah. it's really really interesting, and that's the sort of bit of sort of revelatory stuff that I hadn't appreciated. That is fa- that is fascinating yeah. because it's always because uh, because the history is written as oh well you know it's a chaotic drop but the chaotic drop confused the enemy you know that that was a benefit in itself yep. and all this sort of thing um, but that's not how they saw it at all no. they they were like this is a big shit show and we were all we were fighting for our lives yeah every last scrap of us and all that sort of thing I'll tell you the other thing that was interesting how about it was um, that Gavin was quite well known for doing his inspirational kind of pep talks. Yeah. And it turns out he's got this little booklet on different subject matters. So loyalty, kind of courage, you know, battle prowess, all this really? kind of stuff. And he's got a series of quotes. So before he goes and gives a talk, he kind of bones up on all this stuff and then goes off and gives his talk. And everyone sort of goes, my God, he's amazing. You know, he's sort of quoted from Shakespeare one minute and, you know, someone else, Herodotus the next. And, and there they all are, all these kind of pithy quotes and stuff. And some of them are just absolute gems. So Gavin's Gavin's inspirational cheat sheet. Yeah, 
Exactly that. That's amazing. Yeah, and there Fantastic. it all was, which is brilliant. But no mention of, uh, and you know, not scribble in the notes. Maybe I should have taken Nijmegen Bridge <laughs> on D-Day. Do you know? It just wasn't there. Um, I was, I was, I was searching for it. Um, he, 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 he's, he's a bit stingy on Lingvist. It has to be said, but. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Anyway, there you go. Yeah. Well, so so um, amongst other many things, fruit- I was looking at loads of stuff, but mainly Sicily, yeah. to be honest. But um, yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. But it was and good. I heard your podcast about Auschwitz. Um, uh, uh, Alex the, Ritchie uh, was, which was absolutely fascinating and incredibly moving. And um, uh, uh, well, I was glad I to. Mean, have, I was also it, glad to have the Auschwitz question kind of answered by someone who knows what they're talking about, rather yeah. than us sort of flailing around a little bit. Because we ha- the, it yeah. has been asked a number of times, that question, hasn't it? You know, why didn't yeah. we bomb Auschwitz? And there was the answer, yeah. you know. And she was saying it's incredibly yeah. complicated. Really, yeah, really yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, a, I mean, what a father-in-law. Jesus. Yeah. No, the whole thing's extraordinary. I recommend, hardly recommend people listen to that if they haven't already. Now, um, what el- well, what else is there to talk about? Um, recently, we talked about the issues of race in the US forces. And, and, and touched on the story of the Battle of Bamber Bridge. Um, and this encouraged one listener, James Smith, to get in touch on Twitter. Using our hashtag, we have ways, James says, while you're talking about the Battle of Bamber Bridge, it's worth remembering that the black GIs weren't just distributing supplies. Time to tell the amazing story of the Red Bull Express. Well, because the Red Bull Express is happening now in 1944, isn't it? Yep. In the, it kind of, it, after... Uh, it, it, before the Ardennes, because we're not yet, we're not yet in the in the Ardennes battle. There's this period where the the, the, the Americans realise that they've got to fix supply and supply isn't working. So they set up this quite extraordinary thing, turn three major highways into one way roads to deliver supplies right to the Allied front line because they're because they're still they're still bringing supplies from the Mulberries. Um, Antwerp, is, Antwerp is liberated, but the Scheldt isn't quite clear. Yeah, not till November. Um, not till November, so they, they, they're, they're still playing catch-up. So Eisenhower issues this order, and, and the, um, you get this thing of... of, of and the other thing is, that the, the, really, the really amazing thing is the American Special Ops Air Force, that I can't remember the name of, they convert to fuel loads, uh, to, to delivering fuel, and they deliver, they deliver millions of tonnes of fuel, having been the people who would drop... Um, agents in Europe, they they convert their aircraft to tankers, and you get this incredible effort to overcome the, the logistic supply problem, and it, that's happening kind of around about now. Most of the lorry drivers um, driving these driving these trucks were black GIs because they weren't allowed into combat. So you have this extraordinary thing of this, um, you know, black drivers supplying the front line and making sure that the American front line doesn't run out of stuff yeah and they and they they yeah. absolutely pull it off i mean it's one of those sort of classic american things like we've got a problem how do we overcome it oh uh, okay let's yeah. uh, let's just chuck vast numbers of trucks and fuel at the problem um and we'll get yeah. it done and you know what they do i mean you know they've got a yeah. you know i mean feeding patterns army for example third army is sort of a little bit further ahead than everyone else they've got a 300 mile um lines of supply uh, and that's quite a long street and but just by having this long trail of trucks and indeed aircraft but the trucks are on these roads just going 24 7 every single day they yes. they pretty much supply um the needs of of the front line and the needs of the front line are absolutely gargantuan i mean you know it, it yeah. takes you know something like sixty thousand gallons of fuel 
a day or something to kind of feed a, yeah, an yeah. armored division in fuel. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just, it's just those kind of sort of figures that when you look at them, it's your brain, your brain starts to hurt because they're just so gargantuan. Yeah. You just cannot imagine how that can be done. I mean, one of the one of the interesting things about, about black troops, of course, is that by that stage there are black troops in combat because, of course, there's a Tuskegee yep. Airmen, but there's also the 92nd Buffalo Division, which we talked about, and yeah, and yet they're not in. In the ETO, they're not in the in Northwest Europe, and and it's kind of it's just starting to change. But they're kind of thinking, well, yes, there okay, are you know, the point is they're yeah, not there's trained some artillery up. regiments, yeah, and they're, they're yeah, ju- some, ba- some batteries and stuff. But what what yeah. the troops in the ETO are trained to do is drive trucks. So that's what we're going to use. Yeah. Them. It's not not that by the end of 1944 we don't want them in combat. It's just that they're not trained to be in combat. So there's no point in putting them in. Yeah. They might as well just carry on yeah. driving the trucks, which they're kind of perfectly good at. As anyone else would, but the, the, but the Red Ball Express is a great example of the Americans going, okay, we got we got ourselves a problem here, and then I'm basically throwing colossal resources, their giant, you know, muscle at the problem, and 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 solving yeah. it. I mean, it, it it really is amazing, and, to con- and when you consider that 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 when the Ardennes offensive happens, what the Germans' very first problem is they don't have enough fuel. Yeah. And and Bastogne holding out means that the Panzers have to go round Bastogne, and it's costing them in fuel. And they're not getting any dumps. Uh, and then and they're not getting any dumps. Because the whole point uh, was to try uh, and do uh, the Japanese thing of sort of feed off what you capture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The interesting thing is uh, actually uh, no. is that Chalk Valley History Festival a few years ago we had the Red Bull Express. Unfortunately, not kind of thousands of them, but um, and they all turned up, and you know they had an impressive number of lorries and everything. But there wasn't um, there wasn't a black um, reenactor amongst them. Really? But a lot of fat middle-aged people. Oh, well, that's... Yeah. What can you do? What can you do? Right, now, now uh, on another note, we uh, Sir Michael Howard uh, died uh, last week. Yeah, that's really... I was really sad to see that. I mean, he was... He was an amazing guy. I was lucky to lucky to see him. So he had a really, really interesting life because he he fought. He landed at Salerno. Um, he he. Well, so if people don't. Well, so bef, bef, so 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 why are we why is his death okay significant? So he is, he is basically he is, he's the daddy of strategic studies. Yes, he country. absolutely is. He, he is he, professor. He founded the Sir Michael War Hart. Studies College at King's College. Uh, uh, War Studies at King's College. Uh, so people like um, uh, Lawrence Friedman are in his, uh, 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 you know, who's a, written a definitive history strategy yep. quite recently. Are people who men who, who he mentored, and he came, uh, he, he 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 was an academic who went to war, wasn't he? Yes. Uh, uh, and then as soon as the war re- ended, returned to studies, returned to teaching, and set up this thing of war studies. Yeah, he did, and he also um, he was responsible for writing a number of the official histories. So the the British yeah. official, official histories they have the kind of histories, you know. So they have I don't know uh, Mediterranean in the Middle East one to volume six. Um, there's yeah. a war against Japan volumes one and two. Um, the, yeah. You know, it covers every bit of it you would imagine um but they also have this series on on grand strategies grand strategy one two i think also six if i remember rightly or maybe yeah. five but anyway he wrote several yeah. of them so he he's responsible for several of the official histories he wrote a huge number of books um he did a very brilliant short one on um strategy in the mediterranean which was it is a yeah. really just fantastic book uh, and absolutely spot on but during the war he fought with the third battalion the Coldstreet street guards he landed at salerno um, in September 1943. I think he was wounded there, or was he ill? I can't remember. I think he was wounded. And he rejoins the battalion just north of Rome um, in late June 1944 and fights all the way through to the rest of the war. Um, and um, 
He, what, one of the things he was really good at, he, he was very generous. You know, a lot of, a lot of academics are, are, can be real bitches. I mean, you know, it's, it's, a really, <laughs> it's a really nasty, toxic world to be in if you're not careful. Um, and there's some, um, naming no names, um, there's some people who are absolutely vile, um, who are very protective <laughs> of, their, of their patch, um, don't like anyone else muscling in, all the rest of it. But you, none of that from, from, from Sir Michael. You know, he was, he was really good about pushing young historians helping people i mean i know that i mean you know anthony and uh, anthony beaver and, and max hastings were kind of you know they they were just absolutely in awe of him and 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 yeah. sort of loved him deeply for his for his scholarship his brilliance and his generosity and i've got to say when i was doing my book on the war in italy he was incredibly nice to me and he invited me over to his house and had lunch with him and he gave me all his letters that he'd written during the war and there was this one absolutely fantastic letter um, where he was looking down, he was must maybe sort of twelve miles south of Florence, and in this letter is this description of this view. He crests this this bow. They've got the yep. artillery, the field guns behind. They're blasting German positions just a few miles up ahead, and he does this description of the of the landscape, the sort of terracotta tiles, the kind of. Um, um, Florence looking white in the distance, the blue hills of the Apennines, which they know they're going to have to attack, you know, beyond yep. that. And you can get to this ridge and you can stand in the same spot and the view is absolutely one and the same. It's the most amazing things. It's one of those, those things where, yeah. where time just melts. You're, you're standing on this spot looking at what Sir Michael was looking at back in 1944. And it's really amazing. And he was, he was wonderful. He had this amazing study. I mean, he, it was... Um, it was kind of sort of hexagonal or round, and it had a kind of sort of mezzanine balcony and you and, and sort of spiral metal stairs going up, and the whole thing was just lined with books. So two-story study of books. It was just the most amazing place. He didn't have a Sten gun like in your study. <laughs> he didn't. He was not a fan of a Sten gun. No, no, of course not. No, he he, he famously said that they Absolutely were rubbish. They were rub- rubbish. Yeah, compared yeah, to German right, yeah. But you know, at the time, I mean, that wasn't his thing. You know, he was grand strategy as a historian. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. as a, and as I a mean, combatant, he was a he was a subaltern. And 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 uh, I mean, he 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 famously translated Clausewitz, didn't he, and all that yep. sort of thing. So I mean, this is a this is a guy who completely engaged with intellectual ideas about strategy and, and war and had the but had the experience of being someone at the bo- at the bottom of that particular food chain yes and and after all in one of the campaigns that that you you can own that you have to explain in terms of strategy because when you look at it you think well why on earth would you go via italy you know uh you've got to explain that in terms of grand allied strategy uh, because it's not it's not immediately obvious that you might that you might do that uh uh um, oh, excellent! Well, but he was a brilliant well, uh, man, and I'm really sorry he's gone. I'm really yeah. sad he's gone, and, and you know, it's just another of those. You know, it's just a, another reminder, isn't it, that that generation is slipping away really, really quickly yeah. now. And and yeah. you know, we're 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 you know, we're not a million years away from uh, you know the time when it does slip into kind of proper history rather yeah. than living history. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just before we take a short break, a piece of correspondence from Toby Schmitz, the Australian actor, who I'm delighted to say is a listener to the podcast. He heard the episode in which we talked about the Bayer tapestry and added this intriguing response. You doubtless know. <laughs> um, yes, of course we do. You doubtless know, but there seems evidence that Himmler seeking Aryan law in the stitchwork and Goering, probably purely through avarice, both yeah. sought the bio. hundred percent. Yeah, both sought the bio tapestry for their personal collections. The Gaul uh, hashtag we have ways. Yeah, cheeky bloody sods. Yeah, bloody Nazis, um, eh? Back in a minute with a bit more of this kind of natter.
Hello there, We Have Ways listeners. It's Al here. I have a small favour to ask. Now, you may have noticed on social media in recent weeks that I've been campaigning on behalf of dkms.org.uk, trying to get people to register as blood stem cell donors. I'm doing this because my nephew Finley has been diagnosed with a very rare blood cancer. He needs a blood stem cell transplant. And so do thousands of other people. Now, this is where you come in. All you have to do is go to dkms.org.uk, fill in the online form, and they'll send you a swab pack. Three swabs that you rub around inside your cheek so you can send back your data that can go on their register. And then maybe one day you'll be picked as a match and give someone a second chance and maybe even save their life. Thanks very much for listening. Welcome back. Uh, more news of the Nazis in the Bayer Tapestry. It seems that the Nazis believed the tapestry would prove that the Normans, conquerors of England, were actually Vikings, and thus, by extension, Germans. Wow, they've got a point. I mean, you know, they would come from the North. <laughs> the Norsemen, the clues in the title. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I suppose. Now, um, we, have some, we have some questions, because after all, we're only as good as our listeners and the questions they ask us. Um, actually, that, that's quite a high-risk strategy saying that, isn't it? Yeah, it is, um, really. <laughs> Yeah, we'll recap. Nick, uh, Nick Brown has got in touch. Any chance, and, and this one has no love in the podcast with it. So why are we gonna, reading we're out? Just, well, well, because it's the Christmas spirit, isn't it? <laughs> it's the spe- Advent special. Okay. Any chance of a future item on the Scheldt campaign, a forgotten campaign with over 12,000 British and Canadian casualties? Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, here we are... Uh, We've done a lot about Arnhem. People always talk about Arnhem overshadowing, uh, overshadowing the Scheldt. People talk about the fact that they shouldn't have done Arnhem and they should have done the Scheldt. And here's a question basically saying that. I mean, the, 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 Scheldt, if the Scheldt campaign is the campaign to clear the mouth of the, uh, uh, of, of the harbour. That leads down the, into the Antwerp. Ex, the, the, the exit. Yeah. Exit and entrance to Antwerp. Because you can't... Because, north. Yeah. Because you can't, you can't get north, to, you yeah. can't get to Antwerp. Well, yeah. In the case of Chuckham, it's also the land to the south of it. So the whole Shell Estuary, yeah. they've got to clear all of it because yeah. until you've cleared it, you can't safely send ships in and out of Antwerp. And so this no. all important port is completely useless until you've done that. And and yeah. the problem is, um, it's a, it's this problem that all the combatants face throughout the Second World War that they just have this series of truly wretched winters. They're yes. really wet this side of yep. Christmas, whether it be 1940, 41, 42, 43, 44. Yep. Um, and they're really freezing cold and miserable and snowy the other side of Christmas. So, and it's just this weird glitch that, that, of, of weather yep. patterns that happens. And what it means is, is for the, you know, you're obviously, you're talking about very low, low level ground that gets very, yep. very boggy. In the case well, of, of, been, of Valkyrie, it's been flooded anyway. Defensively anyway, yeah. And so just yeah. getting, physically getting to these places, let alone having to fight a whole load of sort of, you know, Waffen SS, is a total nightmare. And I remember yeah. uh, earlier this year, I was, I was in that neck of the woods, and I remember, um, I remember reaching the Leopold Canal, which is actually yep. south of the Scheldt, but they're still part yep. of the Scheldt operations, has to, the, the Leopold canal has to be cleared and you can stop on yep. this bridge and you look to your right and there, about kind of 300 yards away is a german bunker covered in ivy and stuff yeah and, and, and a canadian battalion a couple of battalions had to cross that and one battalion lost 500 casualties 
you know, just trying to get across the Leopold Canal. And that's yeah. before they've even yeah. got to the Scheldt. I mean, it is, this is before it was, the Scheldt. Well, because because they're, the, the British arrive in Antwerp in a great sort of, at the end of the Great Swan in this great sort of chaotic, um, mad dash scramble take the city don't even have maps of it so they don't you know there's, there's a lot of criticism where they don't know whether yeah. about they don't they don't get across the leopold canal when they ought to they, they don't they don't invest the city the way they ought to and, the, and 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 it all goes wrong but but we're talking about we're talking about um formations that have covered hundreds of miles in a matter of weeks um and they get to antwerp like I say, without any maps, they don't know what's going on. They don't know that they're. They don't know where the Germans are. They don't know how to encircle them. They don't know what, or that they could even. They, so they don't know what's going on, and so you end up. You do end, and then you end up with a grand strategy decision that you're going to try and bounce the Rhine in a hurry, which is Market Garden. Um, uh, you're going to try and do that rather than prioritise clearing clearing the uh, the harbour. And of course, a, a big a big part of how the, the you know the, the, the pile up of these decisions and the constant decision making that's ha- having to happen at Shafe means that that, that they that, you know they make with hindsight the, the the wrong decision. And it's I mean it's easy to say that after all, part of the Market Garden plan was to turn left and and uh, seize Rotterdam, and in which case Antwerp's less important again. You know you 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 know what I mean. But but infatuate is the operation, isn't it? That 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 that's the that's a seaborne landing. So you're doing you're basically doing a mini D-Day style landing um, with people in buffaloes as well as landing craft. And a buffaloes this mechanized landing craft thing with tracks that's sort of like a that's like a great looks like a big lozenge um, uh, uh, um, that they then use that they then use in uh, in the Rhine crossing in plunder later on. And and you have a commando landing, 51st Highland Division, if I'm right. So loads of Canadians see, trying to seize this beachfront, a massive rocket barrage to do it. Um, and then you find yourself in land that's flooded, so crisscrossed with roads. And the Germans, the Germans have done this thing. I, I remember reading a, a, accounts of how the Germans had literally put numbers on the reverse roofs. So there'd be house number one that they that they'd have as a gun posi- gunnery position number one. So they'd they'd just say it's house number one, and they'd adjust their artillery sights and fire on house number one, and they'd have it ranged. So there's the Canadians, uh, and they're having to wade in the in this bitter winter cold in water up to their necks sometimes in water. They get to a house on a raised bit, and the Germans have you know literally painted or whitewashed on the back of the roofs which house is which. And so the fighting is the fighting is incredibly grim and bitter, and like you say, in the grip of this terrible, shitty winter. And I, you know, and obviously the 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 bulge battle is is the sort of is the sort of crisis and excitement of the winter, whereas the um, I mean, this is no, I mean, which, and later on, of course, because this is early November. In fact, it happens. It's the first week of November. Um, this fighting and the fighting that then follows in the winter is. Um, it's as bad as as bad as anything you could ever read about. As bad yeah. as anything you could probably experience. Yeah, it's, it's everyone's it's, it's, wet all it's, it's the time. It's a fascinating place to go and, and visit, actually, because there's lots yeah. and lots of the Atlantic Wall left, and you sort of go, "Well, you know, uh, this, this may be my uneducated eye, but this looks a little bit more impressive than a lot of the defences in Normandy." You know, it's kind of it's it's an it's a horrible place in which to fight in high summer. It's a nightmare yeah. in winter. I mean, it just—it just, it just yeah. is really, really brutal. And and you can stand on the on the um, 
you, you can stand and look acro- across towards Valkyran and, and Beverland, um, where yeah. they're doing their amphibious attack across this sort of the mouth of the shell. And it is, you think, God, you know, trying to get across there, that is really, you, just just looking at it in high summer, yes. you think yeah, yeah. that is a really tough proposition. Yeah, no cover. And, and as you say, no cover um, and, and plenty of mortars and plenty of, of yeah. guns, as you say, already kind of zeroed in and stuff. You know, people who are not going to give up easily, it's it's a really tough fight. What I do think is really really interesting, though, is is it really does pay to look at Google Google Maps and have a look yep. at with with the topography. And again, I think the whole thing adds massive weight to Market Garden as a concept, because really the best route is that route in terms yep. of you know geography, because obviously yep. south of 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 um, uh, south of it, you've got um, the Bulge and and, uh, and the Ardennes, and you've got yep. Arken, and you've got the Hurken yep. Forest, and you've got the Reichswald. Um, yep. You've got the Scheldt, you know, which obviously is going to be a tough now. And, and, you know, how it's always been painted is, oh, God, you know, those Allied generals, they were so thick, they didn't realise yeah. that they had to, you know, what were they thinking? Getting out of Antwerp and not getting the Scheldt. I mean, honestly. Yeah. And it's like... Yeah. No, of course they knew that. What they're trying to do is is break through quickly so that it doesn't yeah. become this it's, this it's save huge, themselves that trouble. This yeah, huge yeah, yeah, yeah. magnet of carnage, which is what it becomes. Yeah. And actually, the shell campaign lasts longer than the Normandy campaign. I think it's like eighty days rather than seventy seven. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, and I think proportionally, the casualty rate is much higher. And uh, well, not yeah. much higher, but higher anyway. Um, uh, you know, that is. You know, it is when you. You have to when you look at Market Garden. I'm sorry to go back to Market Garden, but when you're looking at Market Garden, you have to think Reichswald, you know, which traps 21st yep. Army Group for a fairly big chunk of time till about February, I think, 1945. You've got to think yep. Ardennes, the Battle of the Bulge. You've got to think Hurtgen Forest, and you've got to think Scheldt campaign. That yep. is what Market Garden was designed to avoid. And yes. looking at the geography, there is no easier route than the Rhine one at Arnhem. Well, except maybe Vasel, which is after maybe Vasel. But what they do in the end, but but yes, it's. I mean, if you're if you're if you're doing it, if you if you're looking weighing out like that, it makes perfect sense because this because because the the, the Shelt campaign, like you say, is uh, it's as grim and bitter as as anything else. Yeah, uh, it's that, horrible that winter. Yeah, yeah, truly horrible. So there you go, Nick. We we hope that covers it. Now we've another we've another question. Yeah, Jay. this is from Will Hutchinson. Loving the yeah. podcast. Yeah, that's a bit more like it. Um I was yeah. wondering if you would discuss <laughs> I was wondering if you discuss the arctic convoys that resupplied the Russians. Was it a pivotal moment on the eastern front? How dangerous were those convoys? Um well those yes, convoys it was pretty were pivotal incredibly, and, and, and yes it was very incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous. Yeah. I mean it was pivotal because because we have to do everything we can to help the Russians. That's yep. the moment that the moment um, uh, Barbarossa starts. That's the message from Churchill, and it goes all the way down. And and given who Churchill is, who ran a campaign, um, uh, you know, after the Russian Revolution, and and sent sent troops to fight the Russians, yep. uh, to fight the Bolsheviks. That is that is as big a reversal as you could possibly have, and he really does put his weight behind it. And the, the interesting thing about about uh, mid mid to late forty one is because the you've 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 got a shipping crisis developing because there's the battle battle of the Atlantic we're starting to realise the British are starting to realise that that running uh, the Atlantic campaign and also keeping an eye on the other end of the 
um, of our strategic obligations. So the, the Far East is going to be really, really difficult and there is going to be a shipping shortage. You've got the Med campaign as well, which at this point is a com- from, from a British point of view is a total shit show, isn't it? The, the, Italians, the Italians are running a very successful anti-convoy um, campaign and so are the Germans. And Malta, Malta is completely, you know, is the is this is when it's Walter's the most bomb place on earth. You can't land a Spitfire there without it getting uh, strafed the moment it lands. So you don't, you know. So they're, and they're still not sending proper aircraft anyway. We're a long way off um, when the RAF achieve a critical mass at Malta. So shipping is in super short supply. So to send these convoys is a big commitment. and round is a massive commitment around Norway, which of course is occupied, so full of air bases. So the Germans can, the Germans can, if the weather's good, interdict quite um, efficiently. And these convoys are, are incredibly dangerous. Yeah. And and sometimes I think operating at like a sort of twenty five percent attrition rate, really, really heavy attrition. But it's it's tanks, it's boots. Is it it's boots? Isn't it? I mean, it's it's stuff the Russians really, 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 really need. Yeah. Um, and vehicles and, get, and trucks and stuff and, like that. And, 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 and trucks and trucks in particular. And also, I and mean, they also gets, they do this in, insane route as well with the hurricanes, where they send them up, yep. and they fly them up to you know, and they, they they do staging and they end up at yeah. uh, landing at wherever they do um, uh, Archangel. And yeah. and of the something, I think there was sort of just under twelve thousand hurricanes built, and I think something like you know four thousand eight hundred of them go to the Soviet Union. Yeah, you know, and, and that's you know, I know, I know, I'm sort of a bit rude about the hurricane, but you know, they're still pretty good aircraft, and someone's still got to make them, and and you know, they're still got to be sent there. I mean, that's a big sacrifice. Thirty well, over thirty percent of the tanks facing the Germans at uh, Moscow in December 1941 are British. Yeah. That's Valentine's, aren't they? Yeah, but you know, my point is, you know, no, yeah. no, but it's, uh, it's, it's a big good, commitment. Perfectly good. I mean, it's a big good tank com- for that year as well. Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. a big yeah. old commitment, and yeah, and and the the, the big problem is, is not only are you very vulnerable um, on those um, because you're you're re- you know in the Atlantic, you know, for large parts of the Atlantic, the only thing that's going to get you is a um, um, you know is a U boat. Yeah. Whereas, of course, when you're when you're when you're in the Arctic Circle, you're you are within range of a lot of aircraft, and it's a lot yeah. of aircraft. What do for them? Um, yeah. You know, my old friend Heyer Hermann, the the Luftwaffe Nazi. I mean, you know, he he was flying on a lot of a lot of those raids. In fact, he was flying on the notorious, infamous PQ seventeen, which got so yeah. badly hammered. Um, yeah. Uh, and and so there's sort of double the amount of weaponry that can be directed towards those ships. The other yeah. problem, of course, is that if you are unfortunate enough to be sunk. Your chances of being picked up alive are literally zip because, of course, it's in the Arctic Circle. Yeah, and, so and you're, Carl, you, you're, you're, you're die on contact with the water, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. You know, so it's, it's yeah. absolutely brutal. And it's just brutal conditions in which to operate. It's, it's a yeah. bit like, you know, we're just talking about the Shelt estuary. It's kind of like that times 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is about these convoys is, is of course... All the aid we gave the Russians was always kind of like, yeah, well, the Russian, the Soviet attitude was kind of like, yeah, well, whatever, you know, <laughs> thanks, yeah, whatever. Um, and there, there are accounts of those hurricanes that they are the technicians handing the hurricanes over and saying, well, here's a hurricane and here's how it works, and the Soviets not listening and not giving it, not giving a toss, and the <laughs> airplanes being run into the ground and and the pilots pilots just not paying attention to the training and all that sort of thing and, yeah. uh, uh, and, and, it, and a lot of it I, I think must have felt like a completely thankless task but it was it, it utterly essential politically 
Yes. Um, and, and strategically. I think materially yeah. as well, actually. I think it did make yeah, it. And, and, well, and materially, I, actually. It's just always materially. Materially, it's always like, yeah, whatever. You know, the, the, the Soviet, whenever, all the stuff you read with the Soviets, yeah, well, whatever. You sent us tanks, who cares? The tanks are shit. You know, it's, it's like, <laughs> well, well, all right, fine. Well, shove it up your ass then. I mean, you know. <laughs> But obviously, but the, the Americans is, are sending a huge amount as well. You know, so they're, yes, they're sending the, yeah, huge but, numbers. Yeah, yeah, but the, but, the, but the critical thing is, is shipping at this point, just, you know, the, 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 you, the, the, the Battle Atlantic has not actually been won. Yeah. Shipping at this point is a super precious resource. Yes. And then you get into the next year in 42, when, of course, the East falls, when Singapore falls, when uh, uh, there is a real actual, and the, and the Indian Ocean might fall, there is a real proper shortage and crisis in shipping. Yeah, and even though even though the you know the building programs are being set up by the Americans and the, those boat, the Liberty ships, all those all those corvettes and all that stuff will arrive, but just not yet. And so the those running those convoys and the Mediterranean convoys, at the, you know, in early forty two, is a is a massive strategic and material commitment. Um, on the Allies' part, and 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 one that that yes, obviously the Soviet army is fighting this gigantic, uh, sort of material schlack times a million, with with far higher casualties and all that sort of thing. But they need they need the stuff, and the Western Allies put their eggs in that basket. They actually do. They actually do deliver. Yeah, and and, and, and also I would say say that you know one of the things is that, you know the sort of British war effort always gets such a sort of hammering the first few years yeah. that you know 1941 1942 it's always seen as kind of sort of one way traffic until the you know until Alamein or something you know yeah. uh, and I just don't I don't I don't agree with that at all because you know as we discussed before you know I, th- I think we got to a point we hadn't won the Battle of the Atlantic we got to a point where we weren't going to lose the Battle of the Atlantic by yeah. uh, by May 1941 and you know that is really really important and that shouldn't be belittled or forgotten and as you point out you know we are materially helping the soviet union we're playing in this enormous contribution in 1941 and 1942 with the arctic circles and having to kind of sort of pick ourselves up in the far east and having yeah. to do kind of you know all the other things we're doing uh, yeah. and building up our air forces and all the rest of it building up an army so that when it does count um you know when when the, the timing is right we we have got something that we can kind of throw into the pot all those things are happening in very, very quick order, huge sort of multiple and differing demands. And we not only do we hang in there, we do materially make a massive difference to the outcome of the war. Yeah. And, and because, that shouldn't be forgotten, that that is happening in those years. Because the other thing, the other, because at this point, the North Atlantic, when the North Atlantic convoys start, it's the only way to get stuff to Russia. Because, because uh, uh, the Middle East isn't secure enough to be able to send stuff up through, because obviously the the, the the British and the Russians they both put a move on Iran at the same time to make sure that that that's uh, taken stays care open, of. yeah. And we have a massive uh, massive uh, commitment. There's something like eight hundred thousand soldiers in the Middle East not fighting, not fighting uh, at the Africa core. Yeah, like this great big commitment in Palestine and and mm-hmm. then in and then in, in Transjordan. Trans Transjordan as it gets and called. Iraq. Um, that's identified as Transjordan. Um, that, that, that you've got you've got this most extraordinary commitment here, but they can't use that as an effective shipping route to get stuff to the Russians. No. So it's got to be the North Atlantic convoy. And obviously, um, uh, in the end, the Americans are able to send do send some stuff um, uh, across the, uh, the, the 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 north northern yeah. route from Alaska, don't they? Yeah. In the end, yeah. Um, but but but. At, when it's really needed at this critical moment, right at the start, you know, the, my, I remember the, 
if, if our memory serves, our old vicar in the, my, the par- my parents' village, he did North Atlantic convoys. Wow. Um, and, and said he'd never been, never been colder. Yeah. You know, that you'd, once you've experienced that, you, 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 you'd, you'd never complain about a frosty morning in England ever again. <laughs> well, you know, but you see those pictures of those destroyers and stuff and those merchant ships. And they've got these yeah. sort of whopping great icicles on the, you know, well, and, all over the well, place. And, and, and you've got those, you've got those single launch hurricanes that they'd fire off a catapult. And he was, spo- the hurricane pilot was supposed to go up, shoot some Germans down, then ditch in the sea and be rescued. I mean, Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, are there stories of those planes taking off and then being shot down by the next ship? You know, yeah. uh, so I mean, absolutely it's all, it's all horrendous. Pretty desperate. It is amazing well, what people did, isn't it? Yeah, really is incredible. Yeah, it is. It it it, it truly is. Right. Well, and we sit. <sighs> we get to waffle about it. How fantastic! That's it for this episode. There's plenty more coming your way in the coming weeks. Yes, and we'll be marking the 75th anniversary of the Battle of the Bulge. And over Christmas, we're going to be reading extracts from our favourite war literature, plus providing some context to the stories. Okay, so you'll be getting some Zeno out of me, I can promise you that. (laughs) Bye for now, everyone. Cheerio. Cheerio.